Hey, welcome to Gospel Community Sermon Podcast. Thanks for listening in. We hope that uh, you enjoy what you hear and that we handle the word faithfully. We'd invite you, if you have any questions or want to attend a service, to visit www.gcctroy.com. This morning we're continuing in our series on communion with God. And we started off really uh, unpacking uh, the issue of our union with Christ and its kind of implication for us in our, our spiritual disciplines, or as we would call them, our means of grace. And that's what we've kind of been unpacking uh, most recently, is that our union with Christ pushes us into patterns of prayer, of, of study of the Word of God. We looked last week at the concept of fasting, and today we turn our attention to the concept of rest. It's fitting, isn't it? Because it's Labor Day weekend. It's this day that you cease from your labor, you, you stop your work, we take this weekend off. And it's interesting to note how we celebrate that through various uh, traditions. Some right now have this tradition of just consumption of everything they can get their hands on, right? Whether it's alcohol or ribs or burgers or whatever else, we're just consuming our way through a weekend and that's what rest looks like. For others of us, rest looks like just this, it doesn't matter what I do, it's just a matter of not being in the office. And so rest is doing anything but working. For others, it's rest is this time that we catch up on all the things that we've missed out on you know, at, at home. We want to catch up on the garden, make sure we get all those vegetables out. We want to catch up on the lawn care or do whatever else needs to be done. How do you rest? Isn't that a pertinent question for us this morning? How do you rest? What is the biblical concept of rest and how do we really kind of put our hands around it this morning? And I think as we turn to the book of Hebrews, uh, we have this, this great introduction to what Jesus uh, or what God would show us in the life of Jesus that brings us rest We have a principle set in front of us this morning that that will lead us to rest, that will uh, kind of train us in rest. And so here's what we hope to see this morning. We rest like God when we trust his word. We rest like God rests when we trust his word. You remember that story of the creation that we were looking at at Genesis just a few months ago. Where God ceases from his labors when he puts down his work after the sixth day and he rests on the seventh day and he calls it holy. Well, now he invites us into that rest and we particularly uh, enter into that rest when we take him at his word, when we cease from our labors because Christ has labored for us. I'm going to see this in two different phases. In verses 1 through 10, uh, we rest by mixing the gospel with faith. And then in verses 11 through 13, which Ryan just read for us, we must let God's word do its work in us. And so we'll see these two different phases. I'll be honest, we're probably going to spend quite a bit of time in verses 1 through 10 because it's a little bit thick and complex, and I'm going to ask you just to hang with me because we're going to kind of work through it a little bit at a time. But uh, the second part is where the, the, the beef is in verses 11 through 13, and we'll, we'll make a, a statement there as well. Let's dive in from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. I want to read these first. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. 
For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. First, just before we kind of dive into these verses, let's just talk about who them is. If you were to go back into chapter 3, you would see this argument from Psalm 95. Really, what the author of Hebrews is doing here is he's unpacking uh, the 95th Psalm where David is talking about this generation of men uh, who left the, the, the nation of Egypt and were going to this promised land of Canaan. And because they sinned, they never entered into that promised land. So if you look back at chapter 3 and verse 7, he says, there for as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as they did in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years, therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest." And really, this is just part of a larger discussion that the author of Hebrews is having in this book where he's saying Jesus is better than, in chapters 1 and 2, Jesus is better than the angels because Jesus is, not, is a true son of the Father. In verse, chapters 3 and 4, the argument that Moses is, Moses, the author of Hebrews is making is that Jesus is better than Moses. See, that's where Moses came from, right? He's creeping around in my mind there. And so what we're entering into in these first 10 verses is that we rest by mixing the gospel with faith. And, and the author of Hebrews is making this continuous argument. And so the first thing he says is that we should be afraid in verses 1 and 2. One and two. While the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear. Specifically, we should be afraid of coming up short of God's rest. It's the language of verse 1, right? Let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. The author of Hebrews here this morning is talking about this fear of missing out, right? This fear of entering into the fullness of God's rest that's made available to us right now. And what he does is he kind of introduces that concept in verse 1, and he's going to kind of unpack it in verses 2 through 10. But look at what he says in verse 2. For good news came to us just as to them. That's the wilderness generation. They heard good news. They heard good news of a promised land. If you go back to, to Numbers chapters 12 and 13, you'll see that these 12 spies go into the promised land. They see the beauty of this land. They see that it's a, a land flowing with milk and honey, as they say. And they come back and they make report of the goodness of this land. And so they've heard this good news. In fact, that term that we've seen that uh, they shall not enter, they've come up short of God's rest. It's the same uh, from Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we've all heard good news, but all of us have come up short of it. He goes on in verses 3 through 10. Look with me there at chapter 4, verses 3 through 10. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he said. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. 
Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. What in the world is the author getting at? See, the first thing he points out is that rest comes by faith, and that wrath comes by unbelief. If we look at chapter, or verse 3, the first part, for we, have belie- we who have believed enter that rest. Or again in verse 9, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. These are, are statements we can kind of hang our hat on. They are clear, uh, clear as day, as it were. We see then that there is still Sabbath rest available to us through belief in Jesus Christ. Just hold on to that fact, right? There's still a Sabbath rest available to us through Jesus Christ. Because what the author of Hebrews is going to do then is he's going to give us kind of a verbal history of rest. And look at chapter 4, verse 3, the second half. It says, "'As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest.'" Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, in verse 4, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. So the beginning of the history of rest starts with a God who rested. God rested from his labor, from his work, as he had seen the completion of six days of creation. The seventh day is meant for rest. And so God rested. Second thing he points to is that God withheld rest from the wilderness generation in verse 5. This is the quotation. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Who's they? That's the wilderness generation, that generation of Moses that left the nation of Egypt that was promised that they would never enter into Canaan. They were promised that they wouldn't enter into that rest. And so he shows us that God the Father rested, that the wilderness generation would not rest. Verse 7, that that rest was still available in David's day. Look at verse 7. Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. See, David's writing about this way after this in the period of first and second, uh, in the time of kings, excuse me. And then verse 8 God withheld rest from Joshua's generation. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. This matches the statement in verse 3. Excuse me, I've got ahead of my notes. Here it's clear that the author isn't talking simply about uh, reaching Canaan, right? Joshua and, and his generation actually reached the promised land. They entered into the promised land. Joshua actually saw the promised land divided amongst the 12 tribes of Israel. And so they, they still hadn't entered into God's rest. So, so God's not just talking about this physical place that's rest. God's talking about something spiritual here for us. Verses 9 and 10 bring greater clarity. Look there with me. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. This 
verse 10, matches the statement made in in verse 3. We who have believed have entered God's rest. It's by faith that we stop working. We stop seeking to earn our favor with God. You say, what is God's rest? Well, God's rest is this place where I'm not trying to strive to earn my favor with a, a righteous and holy God any longer. It's, it's that I put down my efforts, that I put down my, my desire to prove myself to God, and I say, by faith, I receive the righteousness of Christ. This is a present reality and a future reality. It enters us into this right standing with God that we take on The righteousness of Christ right here, right now, we take on this standing with God. Some of you have had this experience where uh, you have a child, a five-year-old, he'll come up to you and they'll say, Dad, watch this, right? Dad, watch me do this. And they're trying to earn some kind of credibility with their father as if they didn't already have all the credibility they needed. We don't have to get our father's attention to impress him. His favor has been fully accomplished by the perfect life of his son, Jesus Christ. You and I don't have to say, Dad, look here. Look at what I've done. Look at the old ladies I've helped cross the street or the good things I've done or the righteousness that I've performed. Look how successful I am. Look at what I've accomplished. Look at my family. Look at all of this. You have the full attention and full blessing of your father if you are in Christ. See, entering God's rest means stepping away from our work. Let me ask this question. How does God say to a bunch of Sabbath keepers, you never rested? Think about that for just a second. Every seven days, these people literally did nothing And God is looking at them saying, you never rested. Because in all of their Sabbath keeping, they never entered God's rest. That is, they stopped from all of their labors. They stopped from all of their doing. They wouldn't walk a certain distance. They wouldn't milk their cows. They wouldn't do anything else. but they weren't entering into the Lord's rest. In fact, the law requiring them to keep the Sabbath was given to them to show them their need of Christ. You know, it's like this. After you and I fail time and time again, after we've kind of come up against ourselves so many times we've failed and faltered in regard to God's law, that's how we know that we need Christ to fulfill the law for us. That's why we were given the law of the Sabbath. God's telling us, keep the Sabbath holy, and we consistently fail in that, and so we recognize that we needed one who brought us rest. We couldn't accomplish it on our own. See, some of us here think that if we can just get control of our life just a little bit more control of ourselves, if we could just finally corral those kids, if we could kind of finally break ourselves of that specific habit, if we could put away uh, our patterns of of poor dieting, or if we could uh, be more consistent in our time in the Word, we might just get it together enough that God would be pleased with us. And we kind of assess how a week went based upon those patterns that we're really trying to focus on, that we're really trying to work on. We're assessing our life with God based upon how many times we were in the Word or how we ate or how we did with our kids. The truth is that the rest of God means that your week should always be assessed by your communion with the God 
in heaven. And that is always available to you as you are in Christ. See, Isaiah describes our righteous efforts like this. He says that they are filthy rags. No good work impresses God to earn his favor. In fact, there is only one object of God's delight, and that is his son, Jesus Christ. And as you and I are united with Christ by faith, he is pleased with us as well. See, but here's the question. If you go ahead, and we're just going to peek forward a little bit into verse 11. He says, therefore, let us strive to enter. Verse 10, he says, you've ceased from your work. Verse 11, so we strive. Which one is it? Do I cease working or do I strive? How do I understand this kind of juxtaposition that the author of Hebrews is setting in front of us? See, what happens in the second phase of this in verses 11 through 13 is God is going to show us what these patterns of ceasing to work looks like practically in our means of grace and and specifically how we approach the word of God. Look at verses 11 through 13 with me. See, the word is active. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing into division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is, is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account." And we might feel like we're a little rattled right now. We thought we were heading in one direction. We're talking about rest. We're talking about the gospel. We're talking about Jesus. And all of a sudden, the author of Hebrews takes this hard left-hand turn for us to follow with him. He's talking about the scriptures and how they open us up, how they divide between soul and spirit, between marrow and the other thing that he mentioned, whatever it was, joints and marrow, excuse me. There's so many translations floating around in my head through the years that I I get these things confused. That's my excuse anyway, and I'm sticking to it. He says the word is is active. We must let the God's word do its work in us. Look at verse 12. For the word of God is, is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the vision of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's word is, is active in us. You might look at it and say, it's not active, it's just a book. But you, you, you sit down in front of it and you read a passage and if the Spirit's working inside of you, it stirs something up to the surface, doesn't it? It exposes something that sits deep inside of you. God's word is active in us. That is, for those of faith, the word of God discerns the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. The gospel, which we've all received according to verse 1, is, is doing its active work in us such that the words, uh, that the person doesn't come and interpret the scriptures so much as the scriptures interpret them. It's cutting us open, spilling us out, showing us who we are in reality, exposing the intentions the desires, the wants of my own sinful heart. 
There was a time where I woke up a few years. I was at another church, and I woke up on a Sunday morning, and I just loathed going to church that morning. And I knew exactly why that was. There was an individual there that I just didn't want to talk to. I just didn't want to talk to him. I was just off with them. And immediately, you know, it's early in the morning and I'm waking up and immediately into my head pops this verse from James 4. What's the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Isn't it the desires that wage war within your heart? James is saying to me in that moment, hey, do you desire not to go to church that morning because you're going to see this brother and it has nothing to do with them? has everything to do with the sinful desires of your own heart. See, in that moment, the word of God cut me open and exposed me for exactly what I was. Selfish. Self-focused. It, it exposed the desires of my heart, the sinful intentions, the uh, denial that I had lived in, just assuming that this other person was the problem, and it showed me that I was, in fact, the problem in that relationship. What's interesting, though, is it's not just that God uses his words in verse 12. He he actually is active in it as well. Look at verse 13. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. See, our God sees everything. There is no part of you that's hidden from God. There's no sin that he's not aware of, no hidden thought that he doesn't see, no inclination or intention of your heart and your mind that God is, is uh, lost on. And yet, this God has still chosen to redeem you. Have you ever thought about that? The God who sees all and knows all about you has chosen from before the foundations of the earth to call you to himself, to draw you and to bring you to redemption in Christ. There's no part of you hidden from God, and that means that God was unendingly gracious to you. See, this fully authoritative God, this all-knowing sovereign uses his word to expose what he already sees. You and I don't have to strain and strive to remove kind of the sinful warts from our soul. God is seeing those things and bringing those things to the surface through his word if he's working in us as we believe. God sees our sins. He works to remove them. So then for when we go back to verse 11... Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. It's kind of paradoxical, isn't it? We're striving by sitting beneath the word of God. We're striving by opening up the book and letting it do its work upon us so that our hearts are exposed, so that our intentions are exposed. And as God brings those things to the light, he he just soaks them in his grace and in his mercy so that you and I might be fundamentally changed. See, here's the truth this morning. There is no rest without God's promise. There's no rest without promise. The author of Hebrews holds out that there's two components to this issue of rest. There's knowledge. You've got to know the gospel. 
You've got to know the promise of God. You've got to understand it. You've got to uh, have heard it with your ears and kind of in some sense just comprehend it. But the second aspect is this issue of faith. This is what he says in verse 2. For good news came to them just as, uh, to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. They heard good news and they united it with faith or they failed to unite it with faith and therefore they never entered into God's rest. See, this morning many of us have heard the good news, haven't we? We've heard and been exposed to the gospel of Jesus that Jesus came and lived as a man for 30 years. He lived flawlessly and yet he died a sinner's death, didn't he? He was taken to the cross. He was punished there uh, like a common criminal. Even though he had done nothing wrong, he was betrayed by those around him whom he loved. And as he was betrayed, he was put to death on a cross, bearing the sins of, of his own people. God made him, that's Jesus, to, who knew no sin, to become sin on our behalf so that we might have Jesus' righteousness instead. See, the truth is this morning that Jesus offers us true rest. I want to kind of take what we just discovered in, in Hebrews 4 and kind of go to another passage that might say it a little bit more simply in Matthew chapter 11. Uh, I think we have that on the screen, Matthew chapter 11. Owen, are you back? There you are. He's not quite tall enough that I can't see his head yet, you know, so we'll get there. Matthew 11, verses 25 through 30. At that time... Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the, Son, the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. First, notice how Jesus says our skills are useless in discovering Christ. Look at what he says in verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and you've revealed them to little children. It's not about your capacity to understand that you would come to Christ. It's not what it's about. In fact, he goes on, all things, verse 27, all things have been handed over to me by my Father and no one knows the Son except the Father and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. If you know the Father through Christ, it's because Jesus has revealed it to you. Not because you're more spiritually sensitive, not because you're more attuned, not because you're smarter or wiser or more moral. It's because God in his grace has condescended to you to show you Christ. Isn't that what we see in 2 Corinthians 4? The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so they might not see the light of the glory of the gospel of Christ. And so God shows us Christ. He lifts the veil off of our eyes. He shows us the magnificence, the beauty of his son. 
full of glory in his resurrection, taking on the sins of his people. So if you are in Christ, it's not because of any skill set you possessed. It has to do with the sovereign working of God. But second, Jesus offers us true rest. Isn't this funny? Verse 28, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. And some of us are tempted to make a hard stop between verse 27 and 28, right? Uh, Nobody knows the Son except those to whom Jesus reveals him. Nobody knows the Father except those to whom Jesus shows him. And verse 28, but everyone's invited. Everyone's invited to come and to see. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. And so here's what we see about the majesty of Christ. He offers rest to the weary. He offers rest to the weary. Some of you here this morning, you are so summered out, you are weary, aren't you? You ever do that? You go on a vacation and you come back twice as tired as when you left? How did that happen? You're trying to rest the wrong way. You ever do that? You take a day off. You say, why am I so tired? You're trying to rest the wrong way. We come to Christ and Christ gives us true rest. Come to me all who are labi, labor, who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. He offers rest to the weary too. He offers rest amidst work. Look at what he says in verse 29. Owen, can you go back to the screen before us here? Verse 29, take my yoke upon you. Jesus gives us rest in the midst of working us more. Jesus uses a metaphor for work to describe rest. How does he do that? Verse 29, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. See, he offers rest to the weary. He offers rest amidst work. He offers rest in his gentleness. He doesn't snuff out a smoldering wick. He doesn't break a bruised reed. He doesn't take you in your, in your, your, your shatteredness, in your softness, in your frailty and smash you. Jesus brings us rest by dealing with us gently and lowly. Verse 29 says that he offers rest to our souls. You will find rest for your souls. Verse 30, for his work is light. I mean, we can't lose, lose this fact here that as Jesus is describing his rest, he's using metaphors of work. And so it's not the absence of work that makes us rest. It's the presence of Christ. See, as Americans, don't we do that? We, we want to rest by ceasing from our work. I can't tell you how many people have come to me in their mid-20s and they say, I want to retire by the time I'm 35 I said, well, what are you going to do then for the next 35 years of your life? You're going to work. God made you to work. You notice that in Genesis 1 and 2, God sets us to work before this, the fall ever happened. Before man ever sinned, he set people to work. 
See, the difference is that the presence of Christ lightens our load. The the presence of a gentle, loving Savior lightens the load of those who are burdened with their sin and shame. See, the truth is this morning that God sets in front of us a concept of rest that has nothing to do with workload. God sets in front of us a concept of rest that has everything to do with the presence of the goodness of God in Christ. And if we, if we miss that, you will find yourself exhausted. You will find yourself consistently exacerbated. See, this spiritual reality of the rest that God provides us in Christ should have regular patterns of physical rest in our life too. And certainly, you know, we're saying physical rest isn't the rest that God describes, but the spiritual rest that God describes sometimes comes with physical rest from our work. If I could say that in a more confusing way, I would. It means that sometimes we actually take a day off. When we have the spiritual realities of who we are in Christ, we don't need to work our fingers to the bone. It doesn't mean that you forget work altogether. But it means I don't have to earn my standing with God and I don't have to earn anything else either. I don't have to become the richest on the block. I don't have to have the best looking car. I don't have to do these things. I don't have to be the most successful person. I don't have to work my fingers to the bone because the work of Christ on my behalf. You know, I checked earlier on, Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11, God still calls us to keep the Sabbath. It's still there in Exodus chapter 20. We're still supposed to live under this statement. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. See, that's still present. That's still binding for us. Name another of the Ten Commandments that's no longer binding over us. And yet, as Christians in in the 21st century, we just kind of gloss over this one and act like it doesn't have bearing for us. We say, I can can work as much as I want. I'm going to fill my schedule with, with whatever else. And then we're surprised why we are just paper thin in our souls. It's one common theme that I've found in just discussing life with so many of us is that we go to work and we are maxed to the hilt. And we come back home and we're stressed. And I, I talk to men and, and I feel it too at times where I, I'm stressed about my work and I'm stressed about my home. And the only respite I get is the five minute drive that I have between the two. Let me just bring this up. Maybe you're not well-rested. Maybe you're not caring for your soul in the way that God has called you to. Let me just throw out some signs that that maybe you're not as well-rested as you think you might be. The slightest difficulty sends you into a downward spiral of anxiety and stress. 
the slightest difficulty sends you into a downward spiral of anxiety and stress. Your schedule is always full and never contains any downtime for rest and renewal. When you think about friends, you can't remember the last time you've just connected with someone because you value them. Every appointment you have has an agenda. You come to the scriptures, and your time in the scriptures is filled with constant nagging thoughts that interrupt your time to soak up God's goodness and mercy in Christ. You can't pray because your mind is so distracted by the things that have to happen. Maybe you're not well rested if those things apply to you. I would dare to suggest that that would be a majority of us in this room. And I'm not escaping that myself. So we've got to figure out how to do rest, right? Can I give you some helpful tips of how to rest well? Don't be content with days off and vacations. This is what I do. This is my sinful heart. I'll just let you see into it for a second. I, I think of my schedule. Uh, I, I actually think of my weeks and months uh, with looking forward to that time where I'm going to get out. I'm going to go away. And so I actually logically just break things into a time when I am going to go out of town. I'm thinking right now the next time we're going out of town will be Thanksgiving. And so logically, I'm just looking forward to that next rest. I break down my work week according to when I will um, take time off, right? Next week, I'm already looking to the start of football. That means that I can sit on a couch and do nothing, right? Soak in the NFL or whatever else it might be. That's a broken understanding of rest, isn't it? Some of us, we just want to go from vacation to vacation to vacation because that's how we're going to soak in rest. That's how we're going to kind of depressurize. And the truth is this morning that that's not a good pattern. It exposes something that's wrong. And it might not always be that you have a spiritual problem. You might have a work problem. You might be taking on too much more than you can handle. Let me just be honest. We we all do that from time to time. We have seasons where we take on more than we can handle, but you have to have an exit strategy. If you're consistently taking on more than you can handle, it will have ramifications for your soul. So don't be content with days off and vacations. Secondly, I do this a lot. Don't see your family as distractions to your rest, right? They can be an entrance into your rest. If, if your family, as Psalm 127 says, is a gift from God, let's count them as that and let's, let's soak that in, that goodness and mercy of God that he's given us our children, that he's given us our wife. Let's, let's bring those into our rhythms of rest, not shut them out. I have this horrible tendency to view my rhythms as, of rest as just being alone, And I've developed this kind of pattern over the last five years of just being alone to try and recoup. 
And the truth is that God gives us things like kids, a wife, our friends, our family, extended family, as a means of grace that he can show us his mercy and kindness, right? Finally, in your rest, seek to commune with your God. Don't try to rest apart from God. You might say that's a stupid thing to do. Well, let me just tell you about a story about myself, right? My wife, in her generosity, would from time to time give me nights away. She'd say, I know you're stressed at work right now. Why don't you just go away and you can go and enjoy an NBA game or whatever else. So I would go to BW3 and I would sit and I'd watch an NBA game and I would feel rejuvenated at the end of that. Well, it took maybe two or three times before it would get to halftime and I'm going, wait a minute, something's wrong. I'm not rested and I would kind of start to panic a little bit. I'm, I'm not rested like I was the last time. And I realized that I was trying to put on rest just by the absence of work. And what I needed was the presence of Christ. I needed the presence of his promise. I needed the presence of his word to speak the truth into my soul so that I could trust in it, so that I could delight in it, so that I could be rejuvenated and refreshed. See, as we look at this concept of rest, there's the truth that someday we will have perfect rest. We will enter into God's presence. The sinful nature will be stripped away. We will be resting with God. But right now, you and I still have the sinful nature. We still need to battle those inclinations of our soul. So let's do our best to be reminded of the person of Christ and to build up patterns in our life that enter into that rest. I want to pray that God makes us a restful people in that sense, not, not a lazy people, not a, a people who just vacation or, or take time off, but a people who rest in Christ, who put on the yoke that Jesus gives us, but are renewed and restored through the gospel of Jesus. Let's pray to that end. Lord, we ask that now. We ask that you would make us a people who are diligent for your kingdom, but who are trusting in Christ. That put off our self-effort in favor of letting the word of God split us open. That put off our self-reliance and seek out reliance upon Jesus and his work on our behalf. Lord, we ask that of you now, that you would teach us and instruct us in this. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.